0: It's showtime, folks. So now, Ali to the left... Head. Truth is your word.
1: Welcome to the Know It All Podcast. We're here with a great show. We're back from a mini hiatus due to health and uh, wellness concerns, but we're back. We're ready to go. We got a great show. We're bringing in our man Achilles Rain to our do our MBA week of seven things, and then we're gonna go to our movie review with Rita Cinema and break down Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and a promising young woman, a double feature, a lot to catch up on. Let's get into the NBA with our man, Achilles Rain. Are you ready to drop some NBA on us today, Achilles?
0: Oh yeah, buddy. I'm ready.
1: All right. So we are a little behind uh, on our seven for the week. Uh, I I think it's more (laughs) a a seven for the last two and a half weeks. Uh, While we were out, uh, we had a, mega trade the mega trade finally went down so our first three teams we're going to touch on nets pacers and rockets uh the nets acquired james harden uh the pacers acquired karis levert and uh the rockets acquired uh victor oladipo i mean some other uh you know role players will say and a a I don't know, the whole entire first-round base of the Nets for essentially the next 10 years running, I believe. So uh, let's start out with the Nets. They get their guy, James Harden. Um, Kyrie Irving has uh, decided he likes basketball, at least for this uh, current week, and uh, is back playing basketball. What do you make of this team? Do they automatically become the favorites in the Eastern Conference? Uh, thoughts?
0: Well, I mean, it's hard not to put them as the favorites right now, especially with, you know, their acquirement of uh, one of the scoring leaders in consecutive seasons, you know, over the past few years, Uh, James Harden, he's, he's been obviously one of the best players in the NBA. So anytime anybody acquires a player like that, let alone pair him with uh, the duo of Durant and Irving, uh, I think that you automatically have to kind of put them as favorites to at least uh, contend in the East. But um I still I'm still one of those guys that regardless of who's on the team I still want to see the nucleus of it and how they're going to gel together so I'm not going to quite get in the trophy just yet but uh, I think that in many people's eyes they're definitely the favorite right now
1: yeah um I thought the timing of this trade was interesting um Kyrie was on his sabbatic bulk because of uh I don't know the last year has been difficult uh I guess it's different for him than everybody else. It's been easy for everybody else, difficult for him. So he needed a two-week sabbatical to, I guess, go party with Drake. Um, But uh, it it seemed interesting to me that maybe the Nets uh, probably have figured out Kyrie's a, um, let's go with flaky personality. Um, Maybe they brought James Harden in and uh, sort of Maybe it's James Harden and KD's team now. And uh, when Kyrie feels like he'd like to uh, play basketball for a week or two at a time, they can bring him in. But a little bit of me thought uh, they were like, all right, Kyrie is, we can't count on him. We need to bring somebody in to play with KD. And uh, that was the reason this uh, trade might have been uh, pulled Uh I think a little quicker than maybe we were both thinking it might be pulled.
0: Yeah. I think that there wasn't really much doubt when it came to whether this trade would happen or not. I think the biggest question mark was what are people going to give up and when is it going to happen? I don't think any of us expected it to happen this early on in the season. And I don't know how much of, you know, Kyrie's attitude and his uh, just his demeanor when it comes to playing the game uh, really affected that trade, but I do have an inkling that it might have uh, at least played a small role in their decision to just go ahead and pull the trigger now.
1: All right. So let's get into how they fit together. Uh, the Nets essentially traded all their depth. lavert has gone. Caracas is gone. Jared Allen is gone. Um, and Prince is gone. Uh, Spencer Din- Dinwiddie is uh, out for the year with a torn ACL. So, um, this, this nest team is pretty bare bones now. Uh, there's not a lot of depth on the roster at, overall. Um, are we going – I guess I probably – I wouldn't compare them to the like the Miami Heat teams when LeBron first went there, but uh, maybe a little so towards the end there. Uh, granted, they did not win the title that year and got shellacked by the Spurs, but uh, where they're they're very empty – on the bench so i mean it has to be kyrie harden and durant now granted when you have those three on the court uh, out of five players you really have a a good thing going and uh, there's a decent role player in harris there um the rest i i pretty much question though so uh what do you make how the stars blend together and depth wise do the nets have enough to not even contend with the East. Let's look at these West teams that really will be the challenge there.
0: Well, first I'll touch on the death of the team itself. Um, I think that they're pretty much bare bones right now. It's to me, it's nothing like that Miami heat team with the big three when they had Chris Bosch, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James there. Uh, They had plenty of role players uh, from guys that could, you know, play defense to guys that can spot up and, and shoot the three to just guys that can kind of dish the, the, the ball. But base, basically that team was based off those big three, Wade, Bosh, and James.
1: Yeah, I was looking more uh, that last year with the Spurs. Now, granted, by that point, Dwayne Wade had uh, – sort of fallen off he was no longer probably a top five player he was probably more a a top 20 player but uh you know they had sort of capped themselves out by that point and they didn't have the depth they did in those really early uh first uh let's say three years with lebron this looks more like that kind of roster and uh that heat team didn't win the title they they weren't very good um it, it just other than joe harris and maybe Landry Shamit, but uh, overall uh, I I didn't think Landry Shamit helped the Clippers all that much in the playoffs last year. So what are you expecting from that uh, group?
0: Well, that's exactly the point that I was getting to is that, you know, that heat team was pretty stacked as far as with role players. They they didn't have much in the way of uh, talent, but they didn't eat much when you had those big three, they just needed to surround them with a bunch of different role players this Nets team is not quite built the same way. Like you said, they're more indicative of the uh, later heat team uh, with the big three where they didn't have as much death. Uh, and the depth that the Nets do have aren't really any proven guys. I'm I, i, I I'm not sold on any of those role players as far as uh, contributing when it comes to, you know, those, uh, those long series in the playoffs. So I don't know exactly how that's going to pan out as far as how the players uh mesh together you know it's not like the nba of old where there were rivalries and if your team was playing against my team you know my star is not going to play with your star they're not even going to get you know get together after the game it was probably in the you know kind of mid to late 90s that we started seeing this transition of uh superstars that just kind of uh took the game as as it was as a business and outside of uh the season you know they could be friends and hang out and do all kinds of things. And it's even more obvious now with social media and the access that we have to these players that you see them get together and they have scrimmages and they have, you know, uh, kind of uh, backyard games with each other. So as far as them meshing together, I don't think it's going to be an issue. I I think that they've pretty much solidified their role as to who number one, number two, and number three are on that team. And I I think they're going to be okay as far as, uh, getting you know the way they're going to play together but what scares me with this team is like i said the depth i I just don't think that they quite have yet as scary as they seem when you look at that roster uh it's mostly based off those three players
1: well that's what i was going to ask um if say Kyrie decides uh he he needs another sabbatical uh there kevin durant bounced back but uh You know, it it was scary the other day when I saw him on the injury report that he needed a a day or two for extra Achilles rehab. Uh, That just, it it might be nothing, but you see that in a line and of, you just don't like the word extra Achilles rehab uh, in any statement whatsoever. Uh, You know, James Harden has been an iron man. Uh, He hasn't been hurt much, but uh, if one of those guys goes down, how much trouble you think this uh, Nets team would be in?
0: Well I, that's the thing is I think that the guys that they do have uh, in, in, regarding the big three are talented enough that if they were to lose one guy, they can kind of stop the you know the, the, the flood a little bit they, they can plug those holes in that boat and prevent it from sinking. Uh, it's just depending on how long they're going to be out for. Uh, If it's like a one week thing, two week thing, I think that they'd be okay. Now, if we're talking about a a month, two month uh, type of situation, that's when it becomes troublesome because this team does not have the death to be able to come in, you know, uh, on so many different back-to-backs during the season that they're going to have to face and consistently put up big numbers. Now, uh, I think that if, all three stay healthy, they can kind of go back and forth uh, when the guy gets tired, like, for example, Durant with this extra Achilles rehab time. But the biggest concern with me is the Kyrie Irving situation because he's shown it before. Uh, he's the type of guy where if the superstar on the team is doing something, he wants to do it also. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if something happens and he is decides he going like,
1: to go on Achilles rehab as well.
0: <laughs> it's, it's very possible with him. <laughs> Uh, we just don't know what, you know, what his mentality is. Uh, he's a very talented player, but uh, it's hard to really pinpoint where his uh, mental stability is when it comes to the game. So, uh, but I'm not too worried about, even if one guy went down as long as it's not a long-term injury.
1: Okay. Last question uh, on the Nets: Would you have made this trade? I, I, I understand getting James Harden. I mean, when you can get, a top five top, uh, let's go eight, uh, you know, player. I, I think you have to do it, but I mean, they traded away their draft for forever. And, um, I, I think we both, you know, know the nets, uh, the last time they traded away their draft forever, they got one good year out of those Boston guys in Pierce and Garnett. And then we're behind the eight ball. Um, and not only that, it, it, They traded a lot of their depth this year. I I thought now, you know, Kyrie situation, you know, whether he's playing or not playing, maybe you have to do it. But with Kyrie, Kevin Durant, you know, Karis Levert and all that depth. Now we'll get into the Karis Levert cancer situation a little later. Turns out he might not have been playing. So, but that's a, that's a different story. But do you think this was a trade that they had to make to solidify themselves in the East?
0: See, I'm not I think it's a trade they had to make. I, I'm not too sure as for the timing of it. Uh, like we said earlier, we we knew this was gonna happen. It's it's a given. And when you have the possibility of getting, you know, a scoring champ, uh, one of the better players in the league, you jump on it. And I know that the death isn't quite there because they got rid of their death for this season, but they probably feel very confident. Uh, that these three can carry them uh, into the promised land. Now, whether they can or not, that still remains to be seen. And I think it's going to make for an interesting storyline, but you know, there are reports uh, that there was a, a, a possibility that the Nets might end up with um, Andre Drummond. And if that were the case, then I think it probably solidifies them a little bit more as the favorite, uh, now I don't know how realistic that is, especially with the salary cap situation that they're under, but if they can make that happen, I think it puts them in a better spot for this season. But I think that the mentality was more of looking for the next two, three years, uh, and trying to put together a championship caliber team to contend, uh, for the next couple of years.
1: Well, that would at least explain the Cleveland, uh, side of things and why they took on Jared Allen, who somehow is probably the best center between DeAndre Jordan and uh, Andre Drummond, and somehow never gets playing time. Uh, We're going to be looking back at stats in 20 years and wondering why he continues to come off the bench versus, I'd say, overrated centers. At least Andre Drummond still rebounds. Um, I I don't know what DeAndre Jordan does other than uh, be very good at networking and making friends with uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden.
0: Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's probably pretty underrated when it comes to the centers on that team, but you know, maybe they're just, like I said, trying to get some playing time for some of the other guys that they're planning on making some moves with, uh, I don't know what the mentality is with Cleveland. Cleveland's one of those conundrums. So, uh, we'll, we'll see they what might happens pop going forward.
1: up uh, on next week's, uh, seven in the week.
0: Yeah, they might. There's a possibility the way things are going.
1: All right. So let's move on to the rockets, uh, side of things here. Um, I'm going to read off everything they got. They got Victor Depot. They got Dante Exum. They got Rodney Caracas. They got Brooklyn's 2022, 2024, 2026 unprotected first round picks. They got pick swaps with Brooklyn in 2021, 2023, 2025 and 2027. They also have Milwaukee's 2022 first round pick. So They get Victor Depot in this. Um, This roster on the Rockets uh, is possibly the strangest roster um, other than maybe Detroit Pistons, which uh, that's – well, that's just a different story for a different day. Um, They are clearly in rebuild mode, but – this roster is full of weird veterans in weird contract situations. Uh, you have John Wall. You have Eric Gordon. You have DeMarcus Cousins. You have B.J. Tucker. You now have Victor Holendipo. Um What do you make of the Rockets? Is, is this stockpiling guys that maybe you could try to trade this year? Because uh, you're clearly stockpiling all those picks. I didn't even bring in the Christian Wood, who actually would probably be the best trade ship of any of them all but um what is this rocket situation right now uh um, I I mean they aren't too technically far uh out of the playoff mix in the west everybody's essentially jumbled up but uh seven and nine uh just what do you make of the rockets here
0: you know it's weird to say but uh, you know with this whole situation that was happening going into the season about Harden wanting out and Houston trying to get him to stay. I know that they made some moves during the off season to try and sweeten the deal for him to stay, but it was pretty much done deal that he was going to be gone, whether it was, you know, sitting out and getting fat for the whole year uh, and then leaving during the off season or getting traded during the season. Now we know what happened there. And surprisingly this Houston rocket team improved a little bit, maybe not so much offensively, but defensively ever since that trade, uh, with the with the whole Harden trade, Houston yeah, they're is
1: they're like number three in defense. They, yeah, they have the number
0: three ranked defense right now. So you have a bunch of savvy veteran guys and guys whose contracts are probably coming up, and they're all playing hard. There's not necessarily one big superstar. There. There's a lot of stars and a lot of role players, and it seems like they're all doing their part to, you know, make that that big paycheck next season, um, or get dealt to a contender this season. So I think that they're, I think they're okay, uh, uh, but they are clearly in rebuild mode. I don't see them making much noise this particular season. I don't see them making it, even if they were to somehow sneak into the playoffs, I don't see them with this nucleus of players getting very far, but I think they're an interesting team that uh, because defensively, they're all playing so hard. They can give uh, trouble to just about any team they match up against.
1: Yeah. Uh, they, um, uh- I I actually, I, I sort of cut, uh, the Western playoff. Uh, I thought, I think we thought it'd probably be a little deeper than this, but, uh, the Mavericks are right now, eight, and nine at 10. And, um, I, I probably cut it off there for teams in the West that I think can make the playoffs. So you have Mavs, Spurs, Warriors, Suns, Grizzlies, Blazers, Nuggets, Clippers, Jazz, Lakers. Uh, I, I think those are probably the contenders. Uh, I just can't, I don't know what to make of this Rockets team. It's such a mismatch of, you know, Wall looks good at times, um, but I'm not sure he can be a team's lead dog. Uh, I have no clue what uh, Victor Olendipo is in this. I mean, essentially the Pacers were like, we don't like you. You're better off somewhere else. We're a better team without you. And, you know, uh, injury has played a part in his sort of downfall. You know, he had that great season with the Pacers that first year after he got traded, and then whatever happened to his calf, knee, you know, he, he hasn't been the same player. Um, DeMarcus Cousins looks uh, finished. I I put him on the uh, in the roster mix, but uh, I, I don't, you know, knees, Achilles for him, I, I think has done him in. But uh, you do have some nice pieces in a christian wood who's really probably been their best player all year long
0: oh yeah he's balling out man
1: yeah i I just is it fair the other thing i'm assuming steven silas is going to end up getting the axe in three years because they are going to empty this team out and you know i I just find that a little unfair they hired him he's been an assistant forever and he's going to end up eating this because if the Rockets do keep this team this year and minorly contend for, you know, that last spot in the playoffs or the second to last spot in the playoffs next year, they're definitely going full bore, you know, tank Palooza and rebuilding this team. So it's just a matter of, do you think they it this year? Or do you think they try to maybe uh, salvage something this year or are they even good enough to salvage something this year?
0: Well, before I hit that uh, that question, did you hear about the Victor Oladipo funeral?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just thought that was pretty funny. He's yes, he's, it was his way of moving on, I guess. So he he's trying to get past that. He's trying to start a new. But um, as far as this team's concerned, I don't think that they're quite looking at it as a rebuild this season. I think this season, what they're trying to do is they're trying to put together uh, the best type of team statistically uh, they can so they have a lot of value, whether it's through trades or whether it's through, uh, you know, acquisitions or whatever it may be. Uh, they're looking more towards trying to increase the value of their current roster um, so that they can rebuild next season. I don't think this season is their rebuild one. Um, they're headed towards that direction, but I think next season is when we're going to see it be uh, completely blown up.
1: Okay. So a couple guys in their value. Um, Do you think Eric Gordon really has a a ton of value on the market right now? Uh, He's been a solid player and I I like his mentality in the playoffs, but uh, he looks a little worn for wear. Now I believe he's on the last year of his deal. Um, Would you, if you were a contender, say, say your Lakers for, you know, I don't know if they could afford him, but you know, we start mixing and matching caps and bringing teams in here. Would you, want a Eric Gordon as a role player in, in that situation.
0: Yeah. I mean, the guy right now is averaging 18 points per game. Uh, you know, his rebounds and assist totals are probably anything to write home about, but uh, he can put up points. And if you're taking, you're talking about him going to a contender, whether it be a team like the Lakers or, you know, any of the other top, you know, eight teams in either conference uh, I think that he helps them uh, because he doesn't have to be the go-to guy. He doesn't have to be, the guy who everyone's leaning on with all the weights on his shoulders. He's a more of a role player who you bring him in off the bench to put up points when your stars are sitting down. So I I think he could definitely help a team out. And uh, I only see his value going up with this current team right now uh, for this particular season. So now I know the trade deadline, which is normally in February has been moved to March because of the COVID situation. So it gives him extra time to increase his value and probably secure another paycheck for next season.
1: Yeah. Um all right, two other guys uh I, John Wall is probably untradeable due to, you know, contract situation wise. I, it just happened to work out with Russell Westbrook that they both are getting about 48 million dollars for the next uh 2 plus years. Um is there anybody who would Take on that salary, you think, or even could, and would give a first round pick or something for him? Uh,
0: first of all, I don't think John Wall, as as he currently stands, is worth a number one pick. Uh, and I don't think he's worth the type of money that he's, you know, demanding. Well, not demanding, but the contract he has the one he Uh,
1: demanded when he was still, uh, yeah, useful.
0: (laughs) Now, you know, I think for him, this is, uh, you know kind of a second chance to revitalize his career. I know that uh, during you know post game interviews, he, he's made comments about uh, trying to kind of prove the doubters wrong and you know, trying to prove to himself that he's capable of uh, you know, being that type, top, uh, top tier player. So I don't know how much value he has as far as trades go, but I think his value is going to come in putting together a solid season and then re-signing with another team next season at a decent value.
1: All right. Uh, the last one is Victor, whose contract is up at the end of the year. Uh, the Pacers tried to get him. Uh, actually, I thought they will get to them next, but I, I thought they got a pretty good deal in getting Levert, uh, you know, present situation, you know, excluded. What is Olin Depot's market? Uh, I. I assume if you take him on, you are going to give him his money that he wants next year. But uh, really, he hasn't been a good player in the last two years. I, I don't even know if there's a market there for him.
0: Uh, I mean, it's his situation, I think, is a little more interesting because, uh, you know, he's had those issues with his knees. And I understand that. It's probably going to scare some teams away, but he's, he's doing okay. I mean, when you look at his numbers, he's, he's doing pretty good. I think over the last, what, uh, four or five games, he's averaged about uh, 20, 25 points per game or something like that. So he's not doing bad. Um, I just, don't know exactly if he's going to be able to get the type of money that he is expecting to get. I know someone's definitely going to sign him because he's still talented regardless of injuries. He still has talent, he can still play. I'm sure but the
1: Pistons will take a look.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just I just don't know uh if he's going to demand like a elite player type of money which he probably thinks he is. Uh this season's going to have a lot to do with it whether he can stay healthy for the entire season. And uh, not just that, but put up uh, decent numbers.
1: Um, if I ask you, would you rather have like Gordon as a high-end role player or Olin Depot as a high-end role player? I think people would automatically assume Olin Depot's the better player. But, yeah, but uh,
0: money comes fitting into play. Into
1: a, yeah, fitting into a situation and a role, which one would you rather have?
0: I think I'd rather have Gordon right now.
1: Yeah, I think so as well.
0: If for a role player, I'd rather have Gordon.
1: All right, so we'll move to the Pacers side of things. And really, I've been impressed with the uh, Pacers all year. And uh, to uh, get rid of Olin Depot and that mess that it was creating, and to bring in Karis Levert, who I thought would fit really nicely. Now, uh, they found a cancerous thing in uh, Karis Levert's elbow. I I don't know if he will be back this year or not, and if he is, how, you know, healthy he will actually be uh but i i thought this was a really good move uh for them to bring in karis lavert um pacers are 10 and 7 they're one game off uh you know this uh sixers and celtics at 10 and 6 and 12 and 6 so what do you think of the pacers i don't think they lose too much dropping Depot. i mean this team had already shifted more to a uh, uh sabonis and malcolm brogdon uh Type of uh, offensive team, uh, if they can get LeVert back at some point, uh, what do you make of the Pacers and what do you make of their chances in the East?
0: Well, I'll tell you right now, as it stands with just uh, Brogdon and Sabonis, I think that they have a really solid team. Those two guys have been putting together a pretty good season so far. Uh, Brogdon is averaging 22.7 points per game, four rebounds, seven assists, while Sabonis is averaging 20 points per game, 12 rebounds, and, and almost six assists per game. So those two guys alone are, you know, putting up superstar type numbers, which is really good for the Pacers. Now with the whole carousel reverse situation, I know they found uh, – uh, kidney cancer when he was going through his physical. And he says that that probably saved his life, which is probably a good thing that this whole thing happened, but there's also no timetable for his return. It we don't exactly know. question
1: a little, the uh, Nets medical team though.
0: Yeah. Right. I, I, you know, that no one's brought that up, but, but you make a good point. Like what is going on with the Nets that this was completely overlooked. Now I, I do. especially say,
1: Well, especially in times like these in COVID where, I mean,
0: Everything I'd should be tested. Everybody
1: would be getting health checks uh, quite often.
0: But I, I will say this: uh, you know, uh, the the Mayo Clinic, which is you know renowned for uh, cancer treatment and things like that, they came out and said that this type of cancer um, doesn't have many symptoms in the early stages, which is what Lebert was in. Uh, thankfully, and uh, he did have surgery, and uh, it was successful. Now the question is: when is he going to make a return? I don't think there's a timetable for it right now at this moment. So as they stand, they're still fourth in the East right now at 10 and seven. And they're playing really good ball. Now, if they can get LeBert in there this season, a healthy LeBert, I think that it's only going to improve that team even more, uh, adding another guy they can rely on. So I, I think the future looks bright for the Pacers, and they might shock some people. I didn't have them in this position uh, in our you know preseason kind of review show. Uh, but uh, they're definitely – opening some eyes and i think they're definitely catching some attention
1: well yeah i i think the way brogdon and sabonis who uh played well last year and stepped up a level i i think we thought that was their level and it was a very good level but uh both of them have improved again this year and uh honestly i, I that brogdon and sabonis duo is probably one of the best in the east uh, you know i i put it on par with uh simmons and Embiid and uh brown and um uh, Brown and Tatum so I, I mean and I guess Giannis and Middleton but uh, uh, Giannis and throw in here <laughs> one uh, is a twosome to be feared but uh, I, I really like this uh, Pacers team so if if Levert can make it back and uh, is in good health uh, I don't know if they can win the East but uh, it wouldn't be a team I'd be wanting to play in the playoffs because I think they have the players to uh, give you problems.
0: Yeah. Don't sleep on the Pacers. I know it's early, but you know, they've definitely shown so far this season that they, they can contend with just about anybody now for the next three games. uh, They've got two games coming up against the Hornets. uh, But that third game they have coming up against the uh, 76ers. I think that's going to be very telling as far as where this team stands right now.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's move on past the trade and into our next team in these seven. And uh, I, I promise you, uh, we probably will not be talking about them, uh, much longer, but, uh, I think we both thought this team might be a little bit better, um, in the regular season and possibly not the worst team in the NBA battling the Minnesota Timberwolves for that spot. Um, the Washington Wizards, now they have had some COVID issues, um, but, uh, I don't think you could have told me that a team with Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. And uh, I had, I don't think their roster is all that bad. Now Thomas Bryant is now out for the year, but I, they were bad with Thomas Bryant. So um, would be three and 10. What point is the situation at where Scotty Brooks goes bye-bye? Uh, you do actually start listening to trade offers for Bradley Beal. Uh, I guess theoretically you can listen to trade offers for Russell Westbrook, but, uh, much like the, uh, John Wall situation, uh, that man makes a lot of money for the next couple years. And, uh, it will be awfully hard to trade, a, a contract of a guy who's making a uh, $50 million a year, almost for the next uh, two years. So this wizard situation, when do we go boom, boom. And
0: this, this wizard situation is a headache. Um, and I feel bad for anybody who's a fan of the franchise because not only have they started I was the season a fan
1: off, of the franchise at the beginning of the year.
0: Oh, I think I, I still see you walking around with your wizards gear. So, <laughs> uh, but you know, they're currently 15th uh, in the East at three of 10 and they're not what we thought they were going to be. Now. I didn't think they were going to be great by any means, but I thought that they'd at least contend uh, with the type of players that they had on that team. But they've dealt with some, you know, COVID issues, which is probably understandable in this day and age uh, of, you know, COVID-19 is just about anywhere it runs rampant. And uh, once it kind of gets a hold of somebody uh, it becomes an issue. So they've had those issues to deal with. And, you know, Bradley Beal, he's, he's playing really well. I'll give him that. Uh, He's averaging 34.4 points per game right now. And, I know Westbrook is capable of putting up similar type of numbers, but he's hasn't played all, you know, the entire season so far, which is a little concerning. Um, I think that they could probably, you know, someone get it together and be respectable this season. But I, I think that it's definitely time to kind of uh, toss the grenade into that bunker and, uh, and blow it up and start from scratch, because it doesn't seem like there's much they could do during this season before the trade deadline to really, make this team a contender. I don't think they're there.
1: Yeah. um, I don't like to ask for coaches jobs. That's kind of dickish, but um, Scotty Brooks has been there for a long while. Now they paid a lot of money to get him there. uh, Once he left the uh, Oklahoma city thunder, they have not been all that great with him there. Now I, I, I don't know why they have stuck with him. Well, I have a little bit. They, You know, don't want to be paying him to uh, sit on a beach in Maui. But um, that seems like the first move to go here. Um, But they seem reluctant to – they just seem to want to write out this contract. But uh, I think you probably need to get rid of Scotty Brooks probably last week. But um, get rid of him and then see if maybe somebody else could turn this – I don't even know if playoffs is capable now, but, you know, with those two guys, when you have Westbrook and Beal, I, I figure you could make a run of a you know, eight, 10 game winning streak and put yourself at least back in contention for a low level playoff spot. I, I don't think my prediction of them moving into the top five is uh, no longer a, a possibility, but how much longer do they stick with Scotty Brooks here? This just, What? point to use eat the money and go we need another voice
0: you know it really depends on the franchise uh, you know when i think back at you know the few uh, horrible seasons we had as lakers uh, a few years back you know we were kind of going through coaching uh, coaching staffs you know, pretty regularly from season to season. And they were, these weren't coaches that we were signing for a one-year deal. These were, you know, coaches that were getting three-year deals, four-year deals. And the Lakers were just swallowing that, that hit. And sometimes you have to do that, but every franchise, you know, reacts differently when it comes to money. So maybe they're trying to ride it out as long as they can. I just don't see them really going past this season. I think this is probably the final season before they blow it all up. Um, obviously some of the moves that they've made haven't really worked out in their favor. And I, this is probably one of those situations where you have to completely start from scratch with, uh, you know, taking a look at who's uh, bringing in the personnel, taking a look at who's, you know, putting together the game plans and schemes and uh, you just start from the top and, and work your well way to the bottom, just, just replace everybody. This, I think is the only saving grace for this team, because even if they were somehow to improve, their game i still don't see them contending for a playoff spot and even even with russell westbrook who and like i said i know he hasn't played all season long but you look at his numbers he's averaging almost a triple double for the season so you know he's putting up impressive numbers as it is bradley Bio is averaging i think a career high right now in points which is almost 34 and a half points per game and then you have uh the center what's his name thomas bryant yeah um He's playing pretty good. I mean, he's not putting up huge numbers, but he's at least kind of being like that anchor on the, you know, on the defensive side. And he can, he's good for 14 points in the game. So, uh, you know, you're not, if you can put together a team like that and still not win games, I think that it's probably time to move on, especially since there hasn't been much success over the last few years. I think it's time to move on and start fresh.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's move off to a uh, terrible team and one who has been red hot and uh essentially since we had our conversation on the last uh know-it-all podcast about them uh i don't believe they have lost a game so uh the utah jazz uh any worry about them uh not getting out of the gates hot uh has gone to pass because uh they are playing really really good basketball and actually might be playing the best basketball out west right now uh bogdanovich has seemed to found his rhythm uh Conley is actually uh, playing pretty decent point guard. Uh, Donovan Mitchell has gotten more and more efficient on three-pointers. Um, is this a legit uh, Western contender right now? Do, if I ask you, Clippers or Jazz right now, do you fear for the throne of the Lakers? Which one would you go with?
0: Listen, you know, any – average person would tell you right away that the answer to that question is the Clippers. And that's simply because of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Uh, When I look at it from a LA standpoint, the Clippers to me are cursed. So if I had to pick, I would say the jazz are probably the scariest, uh, you know, possibility of dethroning the Lakers in the West. Uh, Like you said, Conley has been playing really well. Um, You know, he's been kind of coming in and out of the game, playing the one and the two. Um, Clarkson's having a pretty good season Uh, Donovan Mitchell's having a really good season And Gobert, you know, he does He does what he does every season He plays really good defense, rebounds the ball a lot He's not going to put up huge points But he's averaging just under 13 points per game right now So I think they're for real. I think they're definitely contenders and if they can keep up this type of play, I think they're going to get fits to just about anybody they play. It wouldn't shock me if um, they ended up as a number two or three seed uh, at the end of the year, just because they're playing such good basketball right now. And it seems like they're very, a very cohesive team. And these Utah teams are always tough. They always play really good defense and they always play really hard and doesn't seem to have changed much uh, this season. They're playing a lot better than I thought they would, but uh, I, I it's not coming as a shock just based off uh, the roster they have.
1: Yeah. Also uh, I, I think they're pretty deep too. Well, uh, when you bring Clarkson Ingles, and favors off the bench, uh, it, it just doesn't drop off that much. Uh, just been really, really impressed with how they're playing. And uh, I, I don't know if I put them right there with the Lakers yet, but uh, with the way they're just tearing teams apart, it, it, it's really, really impressive. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see how uh, the rest of the season plays out because they seem to be in a really good rhythm and uh, everybody knows it's really hard to go to Utah. So if they can end up with like that two seed and uh, pretty much get home playoff uh, throughout till the – finals and actually right now they're only one game behind the lakers so i mean theoretically they could end up with the one seed overall and you know get uh home field throughout so uh really just been really impressed with the way the jazz are playing right now and uh maybe they're starting to be the uh actual western contender that uh can uh give the lakers a bit of a game
0: oh yeah i mean they're winners of nine straight games uh you know and they've got the maps coming up twice and they have a game against nuggets, which the nuggets are playing pretty tough right now. So I think that's going to be an interesting matchup to watch, but yeah, man, I think that if they can keep up this type of gameplay, I think that they're going to be contenders in the West and they're probably going to be one of the top teams, uh, one top three teams in the West if they continue this type of game, uh, gameplay.
1: Definitely. All right. So let's move over to the other contenders in the West, uh, the Clippers, uh, 13-5, 13-5, and five, been playing really good basketball right now. Uh, I I know I, I pretty much put a ban on talking about the Milwaukee Bucks in their regular season. Uh, I haven't quite put that ban on talking about the Clippers in the regular season, mostly because last year, uh, I didn't think they had all that great a regular season. But uh, this season, they look a little bit more cohesive Um They look like they like each other at least a little bit more or at least don't look like uh, they all hate each other. And after the game, they uh, go home and uh, chill at the house. They might actually have a team dinner every uh, at least once in a while. But uh, what are you making of the Clippers season so far?
0: I think that they're kind of surprising me a little bit. I didn't expect them. I thought that they'd be a good regular season team. I didn't think that they'd be this good right now. They're currently third in the West behind Utah and uh, the Lakers. Uh, So they're definitely a strong company, but that also shows you how good they've been playing. Uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are feeling a little bit better right now, but there's still no timetable for them to come back. Uh, they're dealing with the whole COVID situation and uh, contract uh, con- contact tracing. Sorry, um, but the absence of the big two uh, is really the only reason that they've snapped their winning streak. They had won seven games in a row prior to them uh, being out. Um, now. They do have a couple of uh, tough games coming up. They do go up against the heat, which I think they could probably win that game, but then they have a game at Orlando and then they have another game at the Knicks. Now, um, both of those teams aren't great by any means, but they're playing good enough. And with not knowing whether Kawhi and Paul George are coming back for those games, I think it becomes a little concerning Uh, the West being as tight as it is, you know, every win matters. And I know it's early in the season, but every win matters as far as the seeding goes. So um, if they can keep it together without their big two right now for the next three games or so, and uh, they can come back within a week or so, I think they're going to be okay. Uh, But they're definitely going to be a good regular season team. And it doesn't come as much of a shock that, uh, that they're probably in the top, in the top three right now. And uh, the concern with them is the playoffs. That's always a concern with the Clippers.
1: Well, that's what I was going to ask. Um, how much do you make of this regular season record and the way they look um, and translate it to playoffs? Because, uh, you know, like I said uh, about Milwaukee, uh, we don't really care what they do in the regular season. Now, that being said, I I take a little more from the Clippers because, like, Last year, I I didn't think they had a great regular season. I mean, they won some games, but uh, I don't think they were ever uh, a cohesive unit where you looked at them and went, yeah, that team could easily, uh, you know, win the championship. I mean, you looked at the names and you saw Kawhi Leonard and you're like, well, they'll be in there, but – it just seemed like regular season wise, they never got cohesive. They look more cohesive this year. Now, of course, you know, Kawhi and Paul are out, which uh, sort of hurts things. But uh, how much are you taking from this regular season and going to put it, factor it into your playoffs?
0: Not not much. And just it's just because it's the Clippers. Uh, I will say this though, that uh, one of the issues with them has always been cohesiveness, especially last season. Uh, we talked about it a few times how uh, it just didn't seem like they had a good marriage to put it in those type of terms. Uh, seemed like the relationship was a little bit rocky. Uh, it seems to be getting better this season. And even though a lot of people are like, "Well, Kawhi's out and George is out, so that's probably going to hurt him," I think it's actually going to help him. I think it's going to help the rest of the team uh, kind of up their game a little bit and get and kind of realize like, you know what, uh, we need to contribute more if we want. It can't just be on these two guys because when it comes to playoffs, Kawhi's going to do his thing. Paul George has the possibility of doing his thing, but you need contributions from the other guys too.
1: Yeah. Um, how much of this do you make of the coaching uh, switch Tyronn Lue, uh, and Doc Rivers out? I don't make too much of it. Cause if you look at the Easter conference, uh, Doc has the Philadelphia the sixers right there at the top and playing good basketball. And uh, I, I think if there was a team that was uh probably had more infighting than the uh, Clippers. It was probably the Sixers last year. So, uh, do you just maybe a different voice or maybe these guys just hang out a little more and have gotten a little closer?
0: I, I think it has to do with the fact that this is their second, you know, go at this thing. Yeah, definitely, um, yeah, I don't think the coaching has much to do with it. doc rivers in my opinion is a great coach and uh, not to take anything away from, from Lou, but he's also a player's coach. So, uh, not that Doc isn't, but I think that it probably helped them, you know, become more, co- more cohesive unit, having a type of coach that, you know, is very player-friendly. And, uh, again, not to take anything away from Doc, he's a great coach. But uh, I, don't, I don't think the coaching is much uh, a factor as far as them playing better.
1: Yeah, the only thing I could maybe say is uh, Doc had been there for quite a while, so maybe there was a little bit of tuning out. You know, that's not a bad thing. It just happens. If the same guy is yelling at you for, you know, six years, at some point, you probably just stop listening uh, to him yell at you. But let's move on to another team in the West. Uh, Probably uh, I'd go with your second favorite team in the West Uh, due to your preseason love of them. The Golden (laughs) State Warriors have been playing pretty good basketball. Nine and eight, um, there's a little bit of a trade rumor out there right now. I, I don't know how real that is, but uh, what are you making a golden state season so far? Uh, it got off to a slow start, but um, I, I think they've looked pretty good. A little spry.
0: Yeah, it definitely got off to a really rocky start. Uh, it's rocky enough to make me question my uh, preseason pick. Uh, but, they they seem to have kind of uh gotten it together a little bit they're playing really well as of late uh as far as the rumors circulating about the possible trade it's the uh, the Lamello trade um there's rumors wrong that bell. they
1: wrong ball so
0: sorry, sorry. <laughs> yes <laughs> uh there's so many now that it's 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 hard to really keep up well, it...
1: at least you didn't go with leangelo so <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that would have been a waste like, talk about the rookie who just got drafted being traded uh but you know, I think I know that right now they they just benched Weissman, uh, who was my pick for probably uh, rookie of the year. I don't know if I can't remember if it was him or um, I'm trying to remember who, who my pick was for rookie of the you year. You had
1: one other. It, it, it might have been Halliburton, who actually might end up winning it.
0: I, I'm, I can't recall right now, but the, the point is that I definitely had him in my top three. I had him as my consensus number one overall pick. Uh, I really liked Weisman. Now, I know that he recently just got benched. Uh,
1: but I, I think he's been playing well, uh, at least yeah. how you think. I, I think they just sort of want to go small and uh, put as many athletes out there as they can.
0: Uh, well, I, I think that the coaching staff was probably looking more towards kind of getting a breath of fresh air and just kind of testing things out to see how they were going to play out. Now, I don't know how much of it was meant to light a fire into Weissman, me, because even though he's been playing well, I feel like he can play better i feel like the ceiling is much higher for him uh i know also
1: he might be a little tired too uh you know gauging you know he didn't play a college season last year so essentially he's been off basketball for two years and then you throw him into the nba and a compressed nba uh schedule at at that
0: yeah definitely uh they benched him in favor of looney and i know that uh, when they spoke to the coach about it he was he was very non-committal about sticking with this type of roster i know that he really wants weisman to be you know the guy when it comes to locking down that center position so i think that eventually they'll go back to Wiseman. but overall i still think that they're putting together a pretty good season with all the issues that they had uh pre-season so uh, they're currently eighth in the west right now and if they keep playing the way they're playing i could definitely see them climbing up they do got the superstars uh to to make an impact it's just they're really missing their key pieces man and if they had those guys uh, i'm trying to imagine where they'd be right now
1: yeah i, I i'd really like to see this team with uh, clay thompson uh I, I will give a shout out uh, i've hammered him a little bit but uh I, I think andrew wiggins has played really well now he started slow like they did but uh the last couple of weeks i've really been impressed with the way andrew wiggins has played uh uh, I haven't been quite as impressed with the way Kelly Oubre has played, but uh, that's more offensively. I, I guess he's getting the job done defensively. At least that's what they say. But uh, I think he could guard a lot of people. I, I don't think he puts the uh, fear in people that uh, they're going to get locked down tonight, but he's at least switchable and could guard a lot of people. But I've really loved the way Andrew Wiggins has played. Uh, I, I've liked the way Damian Lee comes off the bench. Um, Bazemore has been really good. I, uh, And uh, anyone who doesn't think uh, Steph Curry is not a franchise guy, he's just a random three-point shooter, um, that's ridiculous. And uh, basically, he is the whole team's offense, and their whole offense revolves around him being able to shoot basketball. So uh, I just – Steph has been amazing this year. I I hope he can stay healthy and keep this up uh, all year long because I I do think this Warrior team has a chance – To maybe move up and uh, maybe climb into that uh, sixth, uh, you know, spot uh, all the way in the West, maybe even the fifth spot with the way everybody is just uh, beating up on everybody and it's so compacted. Um, Where do you think their ceiling is to get to in this uh, Western Conference?
0: I think they could actually climb all the way up to the fifth spot. I think it's possible for them. Um, Now, Curry's been putting up big points. Uh, He's averaging just under 29 points per game for the season so far. I know his assist numbers and his rebound numbers are a little bit, you know, diluted and distorted, but Andrew Wiggins is playing really good basketball right now. I think that that's uh, a really good acquisition by them. Um, I don't understand. I don't know what's going to happen with uh, Oubre right now, uh, whether that move going to happen or not. Well, I but, was going to
1: ask you, I, I meant to ask you, would uh, you bring in now it, it's either Reddick or uh, Lonzo ball. Would you bring in one of those two for Kelly Oubre?
0: Listen, if you're talking about bringing in those two guys, I, I'd consider it at that point because then it adds more depth to your, uh, to your offense, uh, which is, part of the reason why they were having issues in the beginning of the season is they just didn't have the firepower. They didn't have enough guys putting up points other than Curry. Uh, so if they could get two guys like uh, Redick and um, and uh, Ball, I think that then, then it becomes an interesting situation. But if it's for just one of those guys, I don't think that I'd make a move at this point, uh, especially when the team started to finally play a little better ball. So,
1: Yeah, it, I, I think if you could get two for one, I'd go, but it, it as bad as ubre has been on the offensive end. And, um, I don't think he's been great defensively. I think he's been active, but, uh, I, I don't know what Reddit gives you anymore. Um, uh, especially when you put him on, he's just a sieve defensively, which, you know, he's 38 years old and been playing in the NBA for, you know, 15 years now, he's not going to be able to do what, you know, he could do as a young guy. Um, uh, the Lonzo thing is interesting. Um I I don't think you lose any shooting Kelly Oubre Lonzo ball wise. That that's a brick fest either way. You do get a little more playmaking though, and maybe you could circumvent and pull Curry off the ball a little more and get him going even more offensively. But uh I Lonzo's just such a mystery. I don't even know if he's a good player. He's never been a winning player. And he's tanking those Pelicans, you know. They've been awful. They might come up next week at how bad they've been. So it I I'd go and just stick with what I got right now.
0: Well, see, to me with ball, it's always been about the ceiling. Uh he's always had that potential to, you know, have a very high ceiling. He hasn't quite lived up to it. And I know that he's kind of been, you know, moved around here and there. Uh, in his short career so far, but I, you know, even though I think that where he's at now, they were really kind of hoping that he would improve on his uh, three point shooting. So they could add another weapon on the outside, but it's not quite panning out that way. And I think that if he were to move, uh, to golden state, I don't think that the need for him to be an outside shooter is as high as it is where he's at right now. Uh, because you have other guys that can stretch the floor. You need him more to be kind of a playmaker a kind of a tweener, you know, uh, a gash or the guy gets in between the lanes and uh, maybe make some plays. But again, I don't know how good he's going to be at that either. That's why I'm saying if it's just for one guy, I don't want it. Even though Reddick is old, I still think that he's a body. He's a guy that you can spot up somewhere and a guy who can at least get in somebody's face and play some sort of defense, which uh, definitely would be a you know, big help to Golden State right now. So if you could somehow get those two guys, I'd, I'd definitely pull off that trade. Uh, but if it's just for one of those guys, I don't think that individually they bring as much uh, talent as uh, they you know, they would together.
1: Yeah. All right. Quick prediction. Where do the Warriors end up?
0: I'm going to say they end up at the sixth seed, All but right. I, 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 I still think that they can reach the fifth.
1: I'm writing it down. It's going into stone. Achilles' reign. Warrior, six seed, end of the year.
0: <laughs> as long as they don't beat my Lakers, I don't care where they end up. Yeah.
1: All right, that's our NBA seven for the week. Be sure to catch us next week, where we'll have seven more topics to talk about. We'll now go to our double feature movies with Rita Cinema: Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Promising Young Woman. Where can we find you, Achilles?
0: Uh, As always, you can find me on Twitter at TDAchilles, and you can also check us out on the YouTube channel, which is Greenlight Network on YouTube.
1: All right, we're going to go to our movie review. We got a double feature today because our movies are backpiling and stocking up. So we need to get two for the price of one today. We're going to go with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Promising Young Woman, two female lead films Let's start out with Ma Rainey's and go to our movie critic, Rita Cinema. Ma Rainey's, a famous play. What did you make of the film version?
2: All righty. Um, by the way, this um, movie opened in theaters in November and is available on Netflix. Uh, it was a debuted on Netflix on Well, December it is a 18. Netflix film. Let's yes. <laughs> okay. Well, but it... It was in theaters, is what yes, I'm trying to say. Yes, but that's how it gets Oscar
1: yeah. noms. Let's. <laughs> okay. I. <laughs> well, we're going right. to go on my Netflix film rant uh, later on, as okay. per always.
2: We're looking forward to that. <laughs> all right, the film is directed by George Wolf and has a screenplay by Ruben Santiago Hudson, based on the play of the same name by August Wilson. By the way, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is the name of a song that Ma Rainey sings, and it's you know kind of. One of the highlights uh, of the, the film, too.
1: She was a real jazz singer.
2: I'm going to so. say that, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> the play is one of a group of plays referred to as the Pittsburgh plays. And Denzel Washington, who produced this movie, has a deal to bring eight of those plays um, to the screen. Um, Washington, of course, starred in and won an Academy Award for his role in the August Wilson play, Fences, that became a movie. Um, And I think probably I ought to be pretty transparent about the fact that I have not read August Wilson's plays. And the only one I've seen on the stage is Fences. I have not seen this particular one. Um, I did like Fences a lot, both on the stage and the movie. Um, uh, This particular movie has, I mean, it was... um, I think people were really looking forward to it because of the stars who are in it. And um, it's received outstanding reviews, actually 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, and for the lead actors, Viola Davis and the late Chadwick Boseman. Um, Much has been made of the fact that this was Boseman's last role and that he really put his heart and soul into it. Of course, no one at the time knew that he was dying, uh, other than perhaps himself. Um, He's a front runner at this point for an Academy Award nomination. Uh, but I will say the cast definitely stands out even beyond Davis and Bozeman. They're very good. Um, the uh, actors who play the members of her band. All have speak uh, pretty big speaking roles and are, are very good in the movie. And the music, I mean, it's about a, a you know a blues singer and there's jazz and blues and the music is by uh, in the film is by Branford Marsalis and is excellent as well. And certainly, I think adds to the film your enjoyment of the film. Um, although I think you're going to make the point that maybe it's not the kind of music we all like to sit around and listen to in a movie. Um, it, of course, the um, music. Is the heart of the play, since this is about a musician, and it stands to reason that it, you know it would stand out. But um, uh, I, from what I understand, from what I've read, August Wilson liked to make music of an aspect of his plays, even if the story isn't about a musician or music. He likes to make it a part of his um, stage plays. Um, <clears throat> The story is based on a true life figure, Ma Rainey, who is a li- legendary blues singer, and she initially rose to fame in Georgia and was eventually uh, referred to as the mother of the blues. Uh, she, In this particular movie, uh, this story, she's moved on to entertaining clubs in northern cities, um, and that's the backdrop for the uh, movie. Um, I might add that this is takes place in the 1920s, late 20s, um, and at this time, uh, in terms of the history of the U.S., the this was a time of the Great Migration, where many, uh, actually thousands, even millions, by the time it was done, uh, southern blacks, uh, southern black families, migrated to the north. To get away from the Jim Crow laws in the South and, uh, of course, lynching and just uh, a pretty horrible life that they had there, in order to try to find a better life in the North, um, to get better jobs um, and uh, you know to to change, uh, even though uh, you know it, it certainly wasn't uh, the best kind of life in the North for blacks at that time either. They still had much more opportunity and it could get away from. Um, the dreadful life they had uh, in the South. Um, so this uh, has Ma Rainey in the North entertaining in clubs with her her band. And the film is one day in the recording studio. Um, that's the, the uh, story of the film. We see a little bit of action before then where they're in a nightclub entertaining and, you know, we get a little bit of uh, her riding in her car to the recording studio and and get a little bit of taste of what she's like there. Um, But it's basically about the day in the recording studio, which has been arranged by her manager and her producer, both of whom, her record record producer, both of whom are white, of course. Um, They want to get this recording because they know it will sell and because she's well-known, and uh, will make a lot of money. So they're willing to kind of tangle with this rather demanding headstrong, not rather, definitely demanding headstrong woman who isn't particularly easy to like, <laughs> frankly, even though she's very uh, talented. Uh, but they they want this recording, so they get her in there and they do what, you know, she wants them to do. Um, Ma is uh, joined by her band, and most of the play scenes, the season of the play, are really uh, displaying, you know, what I would call the frustrations and sort of entanglements among the band members with Ma and among each other. <clears throat> a key character in the story, of course, is the, in the play is Le, uh, Levy, Levy Green, a horn player with the band, and this is the role that uh, uh, Bozeman plays, Chadwick Bozeman plays, and he is ambitious, brash, and pretty much full of himself, uh, he, you know, thinks he's going to go places and he doesn't think it's going to be with Ma's band. Um, he also though, as you find out, uh, you know, as the play goes wrong, along harbors a great deal of anger from a difficult child growing up as a black person in the South. And it's not very different from many other people's stories from that time. Um, and actually from each, um, each of the black characters in the movie, the members of the band, kind of tell a little of their story, and you, and you find out how you know difficult and and you know uh, uh, what they have faced. Um, I, I think as part of the play, I, and I think that's what you know Wilson, the story that Wilson wants to tell. Anyway, Levy t- tangles with the other band members. He goes head to head with Ma, uh, and you know just has a a, a pretty big. Um, uh, I mean, he he thinks a great deal of himself. I'm not sure they think so uh, well of him. Of him. Um, I think Bozeman is great in the role. Um, he certainly was not holding back in the least. At times, I felt like it was a bit of overacting. But to tell you the truth from some of the reviews I've read, I may be in the minority. Most reviewers thought he acted the heck out of the part, and uh, they, they um, didn't necessarily see what I... I got the feeling that got that I got from it. Um, like the character Levy, though, the actor himself knew that he was dying and that he was doomed, as was Levy, actually. And it's a tragic story, both in the movie and in real life. And I think you do feel that as you watch it. Um, um, by the end of the story, Levy is fired from the band by Ma. He, you know, he gets into all kinds of trouble with her during the the uh, taping or recording, and um, he also fails to uh, fails to sell his original music to the producer. He's trying to do that, although, interestingly enough, the producer does keep the music, and uh, he tells Levy it's no good, but then he keeps it, and then, basically, he has a total nervous breakdown when one of the other member, band members, scuffs his new shoes, and, you know, then uh, I'm not going to give away what happens after that, Uh I think it's an important ending to the story.
1: This play has been around forever, I think people okay. know.
2: <laughs> so he kills one of the other band members. <laughs> so he then is, you know, has committed murder. One of the band members is dead. Ma has fired him and moved on. And uh, basically the bottom line is they all get paid, and then the white producers go sell the record and make a lot of money. Uh, not to mention Levy's music, too. So I don't know if you want to inject anything. Well, in I was here. just
1: going to... <clears throat> This one, uh, I I thought they did as well as they could for the material they had. Uh, I I thought the performances were solid. I I thought the way the film was shot and played out was as good as you could do for a... This one just didn't seem to translate from theater to screen as well as... um, the first one fences, I, I thought fences translated a little easier and a little smoother, uh, to the screen. Uh, and you know, it fences also was probably a one shot, maybe two different shot, you know, film. It was basically shot in the house, but I thought maybe the family intricate drama there maybe lended itself better to screen than a bunch of, you know, band members thrown together in a studio, uh, doing a recording session, I mean, that just maybe doesn't have the quite same impact as it would if you were sitting in a theater with live uh, performances in front of you. It also felt a little more produced, uh, I thought, Mm -hmm. than Fences, whereas I I thought Fences flowed like a theater production did. And this one felt a little more like, okay, cut, let's shoot this scene again. Cut, let's shoot this scene again. Trying to get it too perfect and too uh, sort of smooth and feeling like a one-shot theater production, so I, I thought that sort of maybe uh, lower graded this uh, film for me. I I don't want to say I hated it, but I-, I did not find it as appealing uh, a as a film. I-, I I think if I saw the theater production of this in a playhouse or a theater. I, I think I might like it a little I think bit it's better. it's better there, too. And uh, the other thing I was going to say is also, like, music style-wise, I feel like if you are in the theater and you feel the music and you hear the music, it, it comes out a little better than if you're watching it on, you know, on your TV at home from, you know, your Netflix right. streaming device. Yeah. I mean, no matter how good a sound system you have, it's just I feel like that sort of jazz-blues fusion it has a little bit better feel when you're in person and you can see it and than you can uh coming from uh through the screen. So I thought that was mainly where uh it, it sort of just it didn't make it quite for me. I I, I, I will say the performances I, I thought Viola Davis was uh just dynamite. Now I tend to agree with you. Uh I did not think Chadwick Boseman's performance was bad. But uh, if we start getting into best actor um, territory here, I I just didn't feel like this, you know, I I think you probably could have given this role to a lot of different people and the thing would have played out the exact same. I did not think he took it to a level that no actor could take it.
2: Actually, and I can't, I didn't write it down. I can't remember his name, but the actor who played the piano player, Uh, I thought actually was
1: glenn truman yeah
2: he was yeah see i excellent i actually thought
1: some of the other band members but uh,
2: chadwick is who people are going to think of
1: now you know i i believe a lot of those reviews as sad as it may see the man died and everyone would be scared to death to say you know his performance is poor which his performance was not poor no it was
2: a good a very good performance but i
1: don't think it was Honestly, I don't even think it was his most outstanding performance he's ever done. And if you actually uh, want to go back about six months, I I thought he was much better in Defy Bloods, also in Netflix film, with Spike Lee. So, I mean, I thought that performance was better uh, than Chadwick Boseman. And I would, if he's going to get an Academy Award, uh, I think it should be for Defy Bloods. Now, also that being said... uh, The Academy Awards are going to be quite wonky this year. I don't even quite know what's eligible and not eligible. We've extended the date to like April. So there's, you know, there's no quite telling, but uh, I think the man's death is playing a role a little bit here in, uh, gushing over his performance when really if we're going to gush over performance I thought Viola Davis and like you said the pianist and uh, even uh, the guitar trombone guy uh, uh, Coleman Domingo uh, all gave Better performances. Well, I, I thought
2: they all gave top performances. The thing is, this is a play, it, this is adapted from a play, and it's very obvious. And of course, August Wilson is a noted playwright. I mean, he uh, Oh,
1: I'm, I, you I'm know, sure he, this would be a really uh, good play on the stage. Yeah. I just,
2: and that's kind of what, but he's known for um, it, kind of sharp dialogue uh, and. Um, long speeches. and I mean, if you uh, see these movies and if you read his plays, um, this this particular screen adaptation holds true to that, and I think that always tends to work better on the stage than it does in a movie because you get these long sequences of talk that kind of bog down a little bit in a movie. I don't know why you just kind of look for quick action, more quick action in the movie. Maybe it's just... I, you know, that's, that's what I, and I also think that that's what happens when, you know, it's great on the stage. It might be big on the big screen, good in the big screen, but then you're sitting and watching it on your TV or computer in your living room or whatever. And these long sequences of dialogue get bogged down. That's what I was going to say.
1: Now this also goes into the Netflix thing. Uh, This felt like we were watching on PBS, a, (laughs) you know, British production of a theater thing. I
2: like those. Well, that's
1: what I'm saying though. But if I released that as a movie, it probably would not be quite as, as memorable. And I just felt like, I don't know why it, it felt like fences had more panache to it when I watched it. And it, And it had a normal film release. It was not a Netflix film. It came to theaters. I did not watch it in theaters. I actually watched it on the TV at home. Off, I actually probably streamed it as well off Amazon. So the difference, I, I, I don't know, is that much. It just, Vince's felt like a movie. It felt like a play that was a movie. This one just felt like a play that... They were trying to hone onto the big screen.
2: Yeah, but it does have some nice costuming. The music is good. The acting is good. You can't argue the production and
1: all that. I think they could not have done a better job. It's just I don't know if this one translated.
2: Well, it's just a very different play, too. You have to fences and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom are very different, though it has some of Wilson's touches in in both of them. I do think I did sense that it was an accurate look at the world of black musicians in the twenties and thirties. I think most of the members of these these musicians and the bands come from families that had their past, their near past, actually. Their ancestors rooted in slavery; they were treated as second class citizens. They were enormously talented and yet taken advantage of by white producers and managers. And, you know, at the end of the movie, we find out, as I said, the producer who told Le- Levy his music wasn't good enough to record then takes the same music and gives it to a white musician's band, and they make money from it. They entertain in clubs. They make records uh, from his mu- from. I mean, it's very tragic from his music. And I think that is not... Um, I, far off from uh, what existed at that time and, you know, and, and for even some time after that. I, I think, um, you know, that uh, it, it's also interesting at the end where they pay Ma and all her bar- band members in cash and they insist that it be cash and not checks because when they go to the bank to try to cash a check, the bank questions them and thinks they've stolen the check and that it's not... Um, you know, a, a valid uh, check, they insist on on having, uh, you know, being paid in cash, and they walk away, they're done, and yet then the record sales goes out, and it goes, the money from the sales goes into the record producer's pocket, and these musicians, they don't uh, really get well, anything else, so, yes. uh, but know. that's
1: how the music into indie- just worked up until well, probably, that's what I'm
2: saying. I think probably it's,
1: the 2000s. Yeah, well, I'm saying when well, every musician learned how to record on their own and, and really well, all own entertainers, stuff. M- yes.
2: movie stars too. But um, I think you know, particularly for these black musicians in the 20s and 30s. Oh yes, it, it, you know they were very talented and well, they, yes,
1: they basically just stole their music and, and they just it lived, to, you know, day to day hand
2: to foot, you know, and and got a little money out of it. Um, I do think this is a much a must-watch film. I think the, I think it's well-made. Has good direction, excellent acting, good music and costuming, and I, I really think uh, it, it's one of those from this past year that you ought to watch. It's, right. it's a good movie. Yes.
1: So I was going to ask. So they're going to make pretty much all, all yes. at least August right. was. We'll, a get we've, ready we better done like two August wilson now, um, <laughs> i'm assuming most you know denzel probably has he has a deal with netflix to do all these yeah do they at some point start to run dry for you where
2: you mean too much is a not a yes, good thing yes at what point i what, don't know because at
1: I, three when they release yeah. the next one the third one i don't know what it's going to be but mm-hmm. will you i mean we watched this one in a pretty short time that it was released mm-hmm. at what point do you think maybe you're tired of watching a play on the screen when well, you pull I, off?
2: I cannot answer that question because, as I said at the beginning, I haven't read August Wilson's plays, and I don't know enough about them to know. I, I think they're probably good stories, and he's I know he's a good playwright, but it just very much depends on, you know, if they're all very much alike, then, yeah, you get tired of them. If they're different, I don't know. I, it seems like a lot to take on. Eight plays. I'm pretty sure I read it was eight out of the series.
1: the deal that's is a
2: lot. That's what, so, now granted. Yeah.
1: That being said, uh, Tyler Perry is now a billionaire from yes. basically turning every one of his plays <laughs> yeah. into a film. So you know, but he maybe, did
2: make entertaining. Fi- I mean, I, I now, can't say granted that,
1: uh, his is more a comedy thing, yeah, and
2: he had there was uh, a, these are a
1: little bit darker and uh, a little more gothicy. Uh, he had an audience tennis. for those
2: uh, Medea right yes. films, yeah, yeah
1: correct. So and, that man is now a billionaire. So maybe yeah. this will work. I just, yeah. these are a little more, I'd say dark and depressing than, you know, Medea, which you just
2: go watch. Uh, yeah, and, well, it's just, watch. A, you know, mindless entertainment, but funny and mindless, but these plays make you think. I don't, I don't know that they're dark. I think they're just well, family stories yes, and they tell tough It's tales. more
1: old school drama. Let's yeah. go. It's old school drama, which, you know, doesn't actually get made all that often. Uh, and that's actually, why we
2: all should be watching it and not just Medea <laughs> Technically
1: speaking, we are doing two sort of old school uh, drama-like films today in our double feature. Yeah. But I just wonder if, um, you know, by the fourth, by the fifth one, it, it starts to become, yeah, I'll watch it, but... You might watch it two hey, years after the I think that depends on the
2: stories and who's in them and how okay. well done they are. You All know. right. So
1: what did you rate Molly? Well,
2: movies? I rated it a seven. I think it's a good movie and people should watch it. Um, I don't know if it's just the play itself or the story itself, but it didn't quite have the spark I needed to make me love it, give it a nine or a ten, like many of the reviewers are. So I gave it a seven.
1: I gave it a four. Ooh. Um. Uh, Not because it's done badly. I just, I didn't quite. Just didn't like the play. I just didn't like the play all that much. I didn't find it all that enjoyable. Right. And I I just, I don't think it made a good film. So if we're going on, did it make a good film that I would rewatch? There probably is no chance I rewatch this, but I thought it was done well. And, you know, people should probably watch it and promote the arts. Right. Actual arts, not uh, comic book films, though you can promote those too. We like comic book films as well. <laughs> All right, so we go from that uh, to Promising Young Woman, a uh, a directorial debut of Promising Young Woman. So, what did you make of Promising Young Woman?
2: Well, this film actually is over a year old. It debuted at the Sundance Film Festival in January 2020. Thanks, and, COVID. Uh, No, no, it was before COVID. Yes, I know. Oh, and then afterwards it didn't get released. Well, yes, we were uh, going to get it released
1: and we were not going to have to pay for early access. So it's available
2: to rent on demand. That's the way you're going to have to watch it. And as as you said, this film marks the feature film directorial debut, uh, hard to say, of Emerald Fennel. Um, who also wrote the original screenplay uh, of the movie. And I have to say, this is quite a whopping debut <laughs> for feature films if this was her first one. I think I found it to be a powerful story with a big message, but at the same time, very much in control and understated, with even a few comic touches thrown in from time to time in the story, though very dark.
1: I, I will say, uh, she. Uh uh, worked on the first season of killing Eve. That was, yes, she, I
2: have read that. This is her first feature gets film.
1: A feature film, but, yeah. uh, she sort of got famous, uh, I mean, she's been yep. famous and she's done a lot of television shows. She's done call the midwife, but yes, uh, yep. she sort of broke out with the, uh, first season yep. of killing. No, Eve.
2: this was her, this is not mm-hmm. her, like, this isn't the first thing she's ever done. No. And I think mm-hmm. killing Eve says a lot about this movie. Yes, I mean, you I know, think it's, I, uh, I think it'll inform what you think yes. about this or, or, or whether you would like this movie. Um, it has received wide acclaim both for her film and for the lead actress, uh, Carrie Mulligan, who is quite brilliant as the main character, Cassie. Um, In one sentence, um, this story is about a woman who seeks to avenge her best friend, Nina, a victim of rape. Um, Nina was the victim of rape, and she's seeking to avenge uh, what happened to her. And... Um, it is a sad but often true story of how the system works in the favor of the male perpetrators and against the female victim. And that is really, at the core, you know, that is what the movie is about. Um, Cassie seeks her revenge by going out to, this is, you know, start, the movie starts out this way. She seeks her revenge by going out to nightclubs and pretending to get just obliteratedly drunk Um, you know fall down drunk Um, and inevitably some some young man who thinks he's really a good guy gallantly offers uh, to get her safely home and then proceeds to take advantage of a highly intoxicated woman who is too drunk to give consent Um, once she has this guy where she wants him she lets him know that she isn't drunk and at that point she pretty much terrorizes him Um, However, um, I want to make a point about this movie because I didn't really know. I was kind of scared going into it, watching it. I wasn't sure what I was getting into. But I want to point out that it is not physical and violence she engages, uh, engages in. And this isn't like a bloody movie, violent movie at all. It's all about the psychology of the revenge and making these men that she she then makes victims see how just what crummy individuals that they aren't good nice guys uh she helps them realize that um whether it sticks or not i don't know but i read one quote about the movie that said um uh, pretty uh, promising young woman um is to the potential race rapist what fatal attraction was to adulterers and that is it gets you know you get in their head um So I don't want people to avoid this movie because you think it might be violent or terror-filled. It's not at all. It is dark, uh, but it's not bloody. Um, So as the story unfolds, we have Cassie. She meets this doctor in a coffee shop where she works, um, and this doctor went to med school with her. By the way, she dropped out of med school um, because she was traumatized. Uh, At least that's what we eventually find out. They begin a relationship, and actually a relationship that appears healthy, although you're always asking yourself in the back of your mind, is this one of the guys she's setting up, and we don't know it, you know? No Um,
1: doctors are uh, good people, so. Yeah,
2: all right, we won't go there. (laughs) But it brings back, um, meeting this guy and kind of reliving their mid-school days brings back her desire to make all the people pay that contributed to Nina's demise. And by the way... We don't really know what happened to Nina. Uh, as the story goes on, um, you, it, it's never explicitly ex- explained. Um, but as it goes on, you do, so you do assume that Nina committed suicide because she couldn't live with what happened to her as a medical student, and then nobody you know, really cared uh, what happened other than Cassie. Uh, so, one by one, Cassie goes after each of the parties involved um, and, you know, does something to just t- pretty much um, lead them to terror and fear, uh, including the female dean of the medical college, um, one of their best friends who was part of their clique, a lawyer who defended the accused and got him off, and eventually to the whole group of men who were involved the evening of the crime. Um, and the only one in that group who actually um, was somewhat sorrowful and forget, you know, just had paid the price, let's put it that way, was the lawyer. Um, uh, and that's not, that, that comes back at the end to be important, although at the time I don't think you really uh, think about it. Um, so the movie is uh, about this rape story, uh, that I've, I've explained here, but it really is also about the trauma involved uh, with Cassie and actually everyone, ultimately, in the story. I mean, she is traumatized, and she traumatizes others. Um, and the thing is, as the story moves on, um, despite the fact that you know inside you, you want these people to be punished, and you're kind of on Cassie's side, you start finding yourself just kind of running out of patience with her and sort of thinking, God, just please move on, you know, drop this, forget it. And in fact, it starts making you not like the movie. <laughs> you don't know all the facts uh, necessarily, and um, you're just tired of her uh, unflinchingly going after uh, these people. Um and and you start feeling like you know you're really not going to change what happened and you're really not going to change what happens in the future and basically um and you just need to move on and basically in one scene where she's meeting with nina's mother um, nina's mother basically tells her that you know stop this move on um so anyway uh just to i'm gonna just sum up uh quickly and then you can uh, make your comments Um, The movie is wrapped up, one, you start feeling this way about the movie, but then it wraps up in a rather twisted and intriguing way. And um, this ending, which I'm not going to tell, Um, I'm not going to do a spoiler this time. Uh, Some people like it from what I've read, um, you know, of reviews and reactions to the movie. Some people like this ending, some hate this ending and think it ruins the whole thing. For me, it made the movie. And um, that's about all I'm, I'm going to uh, give away. Uh, I. And, I, you know, now I'll turn well, it I'll, over to I'll you. Well, I'll say
1: the ending is what makes it, and uh, that's probably why I, I grade it so high. I, now, I have always been pro the Shakespearean tragedy. And essentially <laughs> this is a Shakespearean tragedy and it's yeah. all its glory. Uh, really
2: nobody comes <laughs> out the winner. Do know
1: <laughs> that is, you know, this is very Macbeth or Hamlet or, you know, mm-hmm. I could list about 50 others, but, um, uh, I, I think that's what makes this movie. Um, I loved Carrie Milligan in it. I thought she was very impressive in her role. Uh, now, um, a little bit with the mental terrorization. My only problem was, I, I feel like one of those dudes who would have taken her home probably was a complete psychopath <laughs> and would have killed her, and probably would have snapped her neck in a half yeah. second. Uh, Carrie is not a large woman; she's not that imposing. In, in fact, yeah. she looks like she weighs about ninety pounds in this film. Well, so,
2: I, and I also thought, I mean, this is one of the a little bit of the weakness of the of the script, too, I would say. Everything kind of fell into place always for her. Yes. You know, the guys were always doing exactly what she thought. The reaction of the people she went after was exactly what she thought it would be. And no one ever well, that's what let her uh, down in uh, that way. You know? I think at some point, you know, you yeah. probably it get... It wasn't the, realistic, yes. I right, you, what you're saying. You
1: probably get the rapey dude who doesn't really want to be a rapey dude, but is... But yeah. at some point, you come across, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, who ends up slicing you into bits and keeping you in his freezer. Yeah. You know, that it just seemed like a dangerous game to be playing, uh, especially as you're going on this mission solo by yourself.
2: And actually, throughout the film, I kept thinking something was going to happen to her. I kept thinking that exact thing, that one of these guys is going to go, you know, nuts and killer you know and um anyway that that's always kind of there to uh uh, that these guys aren't so stupid
1: yes (laughs) uh (laughs) i wanted to say i thought a couple other performances were pretty good uh jennifer coolidge who uh the plays the mom in it and yes you you can't even recognize her because uh anyone who knows jennifer coolidge uh she's a very um physical let's say uh sort of funny woman. She, uh, her most famous thing is in Legally Blonde, where she plays the nail stylist. Yes. But, uh, I mean, she
2: yeah. does
1: a lot of physical-type comedy, and she just plays... She's always good, though. Yes. She's, uh, a she, no, she's a great actress. No, she's a great yeah. actress. But this is the first time I'd seen her really, really play a yeah. serious... Uh, there's no physical comedy in this role. It's She's a sort of depressed mother because her daughter... No she, sort of about it. ...is going nuts. Uh, yeah. She's also in a lot of Christopher Guest movies, uh, yeah, you know. Right. She's just that type of actress uh, on the screen. I'm sure she's done, you know, theater productions and stuff where she plays more serious characters. But I just thought she played the mom uh, dynamitely, and it's yeah. really a, uh, a different sort of style that uh, she adapts in this than what probably anybody has ever uh, seen her in. Uh, I also thought Laverne Cox uh, yeah. as a coffee shop owner was she really good. She was good too. And really she was good. the
2: one that kind of lent the comic yes. touch to it. That's you know? a, I, I think it
1: needed a little bit of that uh, yeah. style of humor. It well, to, it brought
2: some normality yes. to it, you know, and if Laverne Cox can bring normality, it brought normality to it because here she was owning this cute little coffee shop and Cassie worked in it and everything seemed very normal.
1: Yes. And so I thought Laverne Cox was, and also uh, he didn't have much of a role, but uh, Max Greenfield, uh, your boy's uh, best, the doctor's best friend. Oh, yes. Who plays the complete yeah. slime ball. Yeah. Who's the one who recorded yeah. the uh, said rape scene and yes. stuff. Right. Uh it it was a probably a two scene five minute performance, but, but he did pretty he well. Came didn't he came in and was yeah. uh, he he scored about fifteen points in about yeah. one minute of uh, scene time there. Well,
2: so, uh, you know, one one of the weaknesses is a bit of the script and just the assumption that everything would fall in place like it did in the script. Um, but the acting was not one of the weaknesses. No, the was, actors were I thought quite everybody good. Was everybody was good. Really good.
1: Um, yeah. I, I think my favorite scene in the movie, you know, you use in quotes. If
2: you have a favorite scene. But I did
1: think uh, when she uh, seduces a Dean's daughter into the car yeah. to take her to the, uh, you know, music video shoot for her yeah. favorite band and then goes and... Uh, hammers the dean with this, and the that dean all of a sudden with the dean was starts great. to freak out.
2: Connie Britton played yes, the dean, Connie Britton. She was good. Yes, too. she was excellent too. I mean, you just saw in her face God, where you. she went from just your standard yes. admin blah yes. blah blah yeah. to suddenly being totally terrorized yes, by the fact that her daughter was going to knowing get the raped. actual
1: truth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, You know, she has to go from college yes. administrator who shoves yes. everything under the rug because yeah. Dr. Fancy Pants is going to make the university a lot of money or donate to the university yeah. a lot of money. And then it, when it becomes uh, more real for thin terror. And I thought that was probably that the was best. That was one of the
2: best scenes in the movie. You The right. best sequences yes.
1: of the film. I, I yeah. really... I thought this film was done well. Uh, I I also liked it because I thought it was more in the stylistic range of a 90s film, sort of an independent drama that uh, really never gets made uh, now. Um, So I I enjoyed that. I just wish it had gone a little more hardcore like those 90s dramas. Um, You know, it it definitely had a little feel of... uh, uh, 13 and Kids, uh, Catherine Hardwick uh, sort of style film. Uh, it, it did feel a little Gert, Greta Gerwig, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Templates into the late mm-hmm. 2000s. I, I But uh, I just thought it should go, if it's going to push this edge of rape and how the males get by with it, I, I thought it should have gone full bore into pushing that edge. It felt a little uh twenty twenty where we talk about it, but we don't actually go real dark into it. I just felt this film should be a, you watch it once and you pretty much never want to see it again, much like Fatal Attraction. You watch Fatal Attraction once. Yet you you don't really want to watch it again, you? are do you? pining to go back and rewatch that film yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah. And that's where I get... Um,
2: but you know what? I thought this was subtle. And that's why I would watch it again. Because yes. it didn't... Gross me out or make yes. me feel really uh, like I didn't really want to have the feelings again that I had while I watched it. I, well,
1: I think that's I liked probably what makes it a little more charming and gives it a little more. Uh, well, I
2: don't know if I'd say charming, no. but it, it it
1: has some you know, funny and humorous parts. Yes, it does. Which gives it a little more dark side of, uh, let's say, like a Sofia Coppola or a Wes Anderson-style film, where it's dark, but it has some humorous elements in it just sort of uh, not make you not want to watch the film again. Um, The other question I had, I was curious. Do you think once she met uh, said doctor in the coffee shop, she unfolded the plan from the start, or did it take seeing the tape? I I couldn't get a grasp if she knew he was a slime ball, too, and she was just using him.
2: Well, that's what I said. I always had in the back of my mind that she might, and yet their relationship seemed kind of normal, and I just, as as the story went on, I I didn't, actually think she made the connection with the fact that he might have been one of the guys at the party. Okay. See, I couldn't I, At first I did think she was going to use him for the, you know in a bad way, but then as it went on, I think she kind of found a little normalcy in her relationship with him. And so I think it was more that the tape uh, uh, or the you know brought it back, put it all and kind of into... yeah. She See, I now, could,
1: I think she may have already had a plan in mind. Oh, yes. I think she was setting something up. I mean, uh, I think for years she yes. had been thinking about it. Uh, well, I think you got that from the uh, fake Facebook uh, profile. Yes, she yeah, created a yeah, uh, yeah. frinder or whatever yeah. it was. Um, but I just, that probably I couldn't quite figure out because um, I, we didn't say, but she's a highly intelligent woman. Uh who was like top of her class in med school before as she was her friend As Nina. was her friend they were probably the two best students and, in the class so yeah. that's what made me think maybe she was you know doing a chess move thinking you know 10 moves ahead and as soon as this guy walked in the coffee shop maybe she started unfolding the plan but i i couldn't really tell because i couldn't
2: tell either because they had
1: the whole middle scene where it seemed yeah. like he was almost a halfway, and okay. they were
2: genuinely falling in yes. love and all of that. You other know? than
1: he's a doctor, so you gotta watch
2: out. <laughs> that is not part of the film. That's just a bias yes. on a certain Champ Chesterfield's <laughs> part. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I did think that it was well directed and well acted. Uh, there were some weaknesses in the script, I believe, but you know, this has been a, a this particular topic has been uh, a little more focused on in, in, uh, recent years, the last two or three years. And I think up to now it really, you know, th- uh, this rape and sexual assault, particularly among college students has not really been seen as a serious societal problem. It's just, you know, Oh, they're drinking. Oh, you know, the girls bring it on themselves, blah, blah, blah. But, um, it, you know, this makes you think a little bit about that. And I think it's a different kind of film and, and, uh, and worth watching, um, uh, so you don't take it so lightly. And um, I asked myself at the end, um, and I mentioned this to you, the title, Promising Young Woman. At the e- <gasps> By the end, I thought to myself, who was the Promising Young Woman? Was it Cassie or was it Nina? And maybe it was both. But as you watch the film, you do ask yourself, is this a, is this a film about Cassie? Was she the Promising Young Woman whose life fell apart when she lost her friend? Or was it Nina, whose life was destroyed uh, one night because she was drunk and was raped?
1: Yeah. All right. So uh, do you think this is a Academy Award-style film? Uh, we'll go film overall, and then we'll go performances.
2: Okay. Um can I go ahead and give my rating?
1: Yes, go ahead and give your I'll rating. tell you
2: what, as I watched the movie, sometimes I thought, oh, I'm giving this like a four. And then as I watched the movie, sometimes I was thinking, oh, heck, I'm giving this a nine or a ten. Well, I, so I think I, the
1: ending uh, brings it full the circle. Bring, and- the
2: ending made it for me, and I gave it an eight. Um, I, you know, I pointed out there's some weaknesses to it, but I do think it's one of, I'll tell you, I thought it was one of the better movies I've watched in the past year. Um I think it will be an Academy Award you know particularly if they have ten films like yes. they always do now five I don't know but um, and I think Mulligan is she is outstanding definitely deserves a nomination and in fact I've read that she's one of the front yes. runners along with Frances McDormand for No Man Land um, so uh, and of course Viola mm. Davis too yes. who we talked about so I think it's going to be a, a tough year on the you know actress front for a great competition um, so yeah I would have to say yes I don't know about direction. I mean, is Emerald Fennell, um, is she going to be Best Director nominee? I don't know. It was pretty well directed when yes, you think of how it was.
1: I actually think the direction was probably better than the overall film. Script,
2: yeah. Uh-huh. Um,
1: I, I would definitely think Carrie Mulligan deserves. Um, yeah. She carried this film and did a wonderful job in it. Um, film-wise, I, I really enjoyed the film. Now, if we're going to 10 deep uh, so far this year, yeah, Yeah. it probably cracks it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But do I think it's like, would I even put it as a favorite as a Academy Award film? Film overall. Uh, I I don't know if I could go that far, but I I do think the ending full circles this uh, perfectly and uh, really nails it. So I I could definitely see it being nominated. I do think uh, Carrie Milligan definitely deserves a nomination that it is. I think is one of the best performances I have seen. So, what did you rate it? I rated it a seven. Seven, overall. I said eight. So, yeah, okay. So, I yeah, I did like it. It that and Tenet so far this yeah, year. Yeah, see, I've Tenet been, I did not <laughs> like, but mess. it'll
2: you know that's just the difference in movie taste, I Yes, think. um, I I like to throw if we're done with promising young woman, we're done with promising young woman. I just like to throw out that one of the movies we're not going to review that I I, I just want to mention briefly is a movie called Pieces of of a woman. I think that's the full title. And, um, I watched it. It's on Netflix as well. I watched it, uh, recently too. And I just want to throw out, um, it's a hard movie to watch. It certainly isn't a perfect movie. I don't know that it would be a best picture nominee. Um, but it, it's, a, and it is a story about a couple who loses a, uh, their baby. It's born, stillborn and they have a trial against the midwife who, um, brought uh, who was there uh with them and um uh the thing is it's really not about that it's about the woman character and what she goes through um as and uh her interactions with people how it is actually pieces of a woman is a great title but the reason i want to mention it is i did think it was a very good movie and uh virginia kirby i hope i'm saying her name right yes Stars in it, and she is. I if she needs to get an Academy Award nomination for sure. She was so so good in this film and portrayed the fi- feelings of this woman. I mean, it was just. I I just was stunned by how good she was in the film. And I also think an old timer, Ellen Burstyn, plays her mother. And I thought she was quite good, too. So I just want to throw Well, if a plug you're looking for, for an film, uplifting
1: story over the weekend. Uh. It, no, it's very dark and depressing. <laughs> but
2: it is well, it's well done and, I think, an interesting film.
1: All right. So it, if, it might come back around if it gets some Oscar nominations. But uh, I am not in for that uplifting movie yeah, over the I weekend. So I, I've crossed it off for right now. I don't now. know
2: if men would like that. I, that's... Uh, a stereotype but it probably we is. will
1: be back uh next week uh for denzel washington's new movie now the i'm blanking little things the little things uh We will be back for that one next week. Rami Malek, Jared I mean,
2: Denzel Washington. Three Academy Award winners there. Uh, I
1: don't know if it will be any good, but it has stars and it has Denzel. And it has action,
2: (laughs) so we're watching
1: it. So that will be our next movie on the slate. Be sure to follow us all on GreenlightNetwork.org, Greenlight Network on Facebook, and Greenlight Network on YouTube. That's our show, and we're out.